0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for giving us your time today. I think we'll we'll start off a little bit different today and let everyone file in because we're a little bit early before we get into our normal introduction. But how are you doing today, David? It's great to be back with everyone. Obviously, we had to
1: put this show on the back burner for a few weeks to prioritize our Apple Vision Pro review and coverage. We're a very small team. Uh, we have to make tough priority decisions like that, and and this show is something we love doing, but it's kind of a a side addition to our, our main work, and and something that we do when we have the time, which is most weeks, but not around the big hardware drops like a new Quest headset or Apple Vision Pro, and hopefully many more headsets to come. So today we'll be doing a kind of catch-up episode of everything we haven't been discussing over the past three or four weeks because we haven't been on the show. We'll obviously discuss Apple Vision Pro, the launch, our review, some of our further thoughts in the weeks since of having both used it. Ian and I both have an Apple Vision Pro that we're continuing to use. We'll also discuss the Quest 2 256 gigabyte model disappearing. So there's only now one of the two Quest 2 models that still is on the market. And we'll talk about whether that might mean that Quest 3 Lite is inbound we'll talk about the report that dropped on the weekend about the LG made quest pro two and the uh, claim that it will possibly ship in the first half of 2025. So we could be, you know, just over a year away or or around a year away from a a new quest pro from LG. We'll then talk about some of the new quest features that have arrived over the past month or have been teased. That includes multimodal wide motion mode for quest three the possibility of Quest becoming an airplay target, and the claim that Meta is reworking some of the core UI infrastructure of Quest, and uh, 10 guesses why they're doing that. Finally, we'll talk about PlayStation VR 2. There's two big pieces of news there, and we'll talk about how that might come together. We'll first talk about their announcement that there will be some form of PC support later this year, and then we'll talk about the fact that they just shut down PlayStation London, And they have made a layoff in the two studios behind Horizon Call of the Mountain. We'll talk about what that might mean for the future prospects of PlayStation VR 2. We're just over a year from PlayStation VR 2 shipping, so we'll talk about how this year's been, what the future might be there. A few, well, quite a few eagle eyed viewers have noticed um, that we have improved lighting on the avatars. You're not uh, dreaming, this is not your imagination. We have put some work into the app to improve the lighting and real-time rendering to make the avatars look better Uh, we've also implemented wide motion mode for quest 3 now i'm using a quest 2 and ian is using a quest pro so you won't actually see that today because neither of us are using quest 3 but if you were it would mean that our hands would be able to go out of view another thing we've done as well as increasing the the Lighting fidelity is we've implemented a feature called hip lock so that you'll no longer see our avatars awkwardly leaning backwards so much. The hips are now locked. Uh, hopefully, the avatars SDK gets support for inside out upper body tracking at some point soon. Until then, we're going to use the hip lock and wide motion mode, which we'll discuss more later in the show. So, thanks for our audience for noticing this. We are really Glad to see you all back here. And now that the Vision Pro review is out of the way, we very much so intend to be continuing to broadcast this every Tuesday.
0: Yeah, you're really spoiling our audience there a little bit, I think. making It makes sense, right? We're about to get into the first section here where David published a 12,000-word review. And just a, a comment, I guess, for several people that are wondering what happened to our previous effort, right? We tried to broadcast from Apple Vision Pro last week and then we tried to pop over into our normal studio and there was an assortment of technical glitches on both types of streams so we just decided to put the whole episode on private and just put it into the past and we appreciate our viewers who sort of like watching our technical glitches with us but we really are trying to rope in new viewers and let them understand what this technology is trying to do and this isn't the kind of setting where we're actually reviewing like the things we're doing with these headsets for live broadcast are pretty unusual. And I I wouldn't think of that as the type of thing that new viewers would expect to do right out of the gate immediately with their headsets. So that's what happened to our previous effort. And yeah, we're trying to get everyone in here a little bit slowly before we dive into this very, very big subject with Apple Vision Pro. I'm in a quest. uh, Quest Pro today, and it's been a couple weeks since I've actually put this uh, particular device on, but that means I've got real face and eye tracking. So I can move my mouth around like this, close eyes, look around, and I sometimes introduce episodes inside the studio by explaining that I'm wearing Quest Pro. And the moment I came in here with David's latest update, I noticed your mouth movements are much more animated, even to me, inside VR, But you're using a Quest 2, which is using simulated mouth movements based on what AI uh, guessing what your mouth sounds are. Is that how it works?
1: Yeah, it's matching the phonemes from the microphone audio with the likely mouse movement. And I think it's really funny that, you know, I think other audience members have noticed this before, but I actually think it has a better result than Quest Pro's lower mouth tracking in many cases. When it comes to the uh, dramatic movement in your face, you're able to do things that can't be done in a Quest 2 or 3, but when it comes to the movement of the mouth, uh, it's pretty funny that it it does actually have a better result. I think they are looking at at incorporating both of them. Uh, If you look at some of the changes they're making to how the Movement SDK uses mouth tracking, they're kind of integrating both in in future. Uh, Yardseal is asking, how come I'm using a Quest 2? Uh, because if you search Quest 3 microphone upload VR on Google, uh, you'll see that there is still an annoying popping issue with the Quest Pro and Quest 3 microphone. Now, they have somewhat improved that in a recent software update, but it's still to the point where it wouldn't be a good experience for you, the audience. Um, fundamentally, the problem is that the microphone becomes so close to the mouth that these uh, horrible plosives, so on, on signs like P and T, you get this very harsh popping. Um that's why I don't want to use a Quest 3 in the studio. Now, this isn't a fundamental problem that, that any hardware would have this. Uh, I have tried slimmer headsets, uh, Vive XR Elite, Pico 4, and none of them seem to have the issue. And also I've tried Meta's Ray-Ban glasses and they don't have the issue. It's just that something about the microphone design of Quest Pro and Quest 3 forgot to account for the plosives issue. I'll be fascinated to see whether Quest 3 is light and quest pro 2 have this issue as well i would seriously hope if anyone at meta who has anything to do with the hardware design is listening to this podcast please please don't make this an issue in your future headsets it's astonishing that it's not an issue in your glasses it's not an issue in quest 2 but it is an issue in pro and 3
0: i so i gotta say so even so we we went into this a little bit with the vision pro and i we're going to get to the review very, very shortly here. I still do want to give time to have people file in before we really dive into this uh, deep. But it is pretty powerful to me, David. I, I think you're 100% right that your lip movements look better than what the audience is seeing off of my Quest uh, Pro. One of the things I've wondered is because you're the broadcaster, you're in London, is there any offset of my lip sync uh, because of that uh, making the journey to your to your computer and then being broadcast out there?
1: Yeah, that that would affect it slightly. Though, keep in mind that your 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 voice is also transmitting, so the latency is actually fairly similar. Obviously, voice latency is going to be a little bit higher in general, but when it comes to it, that kind of cancelled out because both of those things are coming across. Um, I think like I said in future it's clear if you look at the movement SDKs latest updates they are planning on some sort of integration of that so that Quest Pro will probably use both or maybe that's the plan Mm. for Quest Pro too, where they'll use the microphone audio and face tracking together to come up with a plausible uh, mouth output and I mean that's what we're seeing across tracking and we'll talk about that more later it's all about taking all these separate things together and sometimes filling in the gaps with one sensor and using another sensor for another thing it's It's very, it's very rarely as simple as the old paradigm of button press equals output when it comes to VR and AR.
0: Yeah. And it's a very challenging thing for us to do. And it's what we, so we're so thankful to our audience for going on this journey with us, because what you're describing, the, you know, using another sensor to fill in the gap for something else is a lot of the work of AI uh, and it's a lot of work of multiple teams of engineers at different companies all coming together to get this stuff out. Uh, on schedules, you know, it ends up becoming, I always remember this from the Google versus Apple fanboy phases of technology. And you, I don't know if you're guilty of this, but you remember where uh, we would point out that Google had that feature for years and then Apple would come out and pretend like they've invented it a lot of that is in the implementation of these features. So like you just implemented an incredible use of Meta's latest SDKs on multiple year old hardware and it looks better than more recent hardware, but only because they themselves haven't integrated all the different platform changes. So like, what that's leading to, David, is do you think they could like do codec avatars if they really use all of these improvements together on current hardware?
1: Yeah, let's talk about that a bit more when we talk about Quest Pro yeah. too. Uh, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I think we're ready to go into our first topic here and talk about the Apple Vision Pro review. If you agree,
0: yep, I think it's a good time. Let's recap for people that uh, Apple did not send us an Apple vision pro headset to review so we flew david heaney over from england handed him uh, bought him a apple vision pro handed it off to him and he flew back with it across the atlantic over to london where he spent a couple weeks as we all desperately waited for him to give his analysis of the apple vision pro and uh, multiple tens of thousands of words i imagine were drafted uh, ultimately we published a 12,000 word review and i do think it's the definitive review of the apple vision pro uh feel free to disagree with me in the audience if you think somebody has a more definitive uh take tear down of this headset you know uh, obviously i fix it is going to have the uh, the literal take tear down but other than that i think i think you've got it covered so david why don't you walk us through your time with this headset and what you learned
1: yeah, we really did want to be comprehensive here. We didn't want to rush out with a first impressions piece. Uh, we didn't want to do the generic, uh, you know, review that just says, "Oh, it's a big, bulky headset," but Apple's gonna get glasses one day. That a lot of media, uh, wider media outlets went for. We wanted to give something that was uh, a comparison to Quest Three. A accurate depiction of where the hardware strengths are and where its weaknesses are as well as uh, what the current software enables and the use cases around it and to obviously just sum up the review i highly recommend you read it if you haven't uh, upload vr apple vision pro reviews what you would search if you haven't read it but to, to sum it up a lot of people expected that this is a direct competitor to quest 3 and Mark Zuckerberg recently released his own kind of review where he talks about it as a direct competitor, but it, it really isn't. The, the use cases that these headsets are optimized and designed for are vastly different. Now, fundamentally, they're the same type of device. Yes, it is some pancake lenses in front of a display with high-resolution color cameras to pass through the real world and hand tracking. But some of the software focus and use cases and the fact that one headset has you know, a higher- Uh, performance processor tethered to an external battery and the other is designed to be an all-in-one device with controllers for moving around means that they're really quite different. So Quest has established itself as a viable market of fitness, gaming, and social. Those are the three things that people use their Quest for. They're either playing VR games, they are socializing in VR chat or Rec Room or Horizon Worlds even, or they're using it for fitness, uh, be it Supernatural, uh, be it uh, r be it lead mills, body combat, all of those different use cases. But where Quest's weakness really is, is using it as a portable monitor or a portable TV. And some of that is because of the hardware, because it's, you know, only 2K per eye. And, you know, it's not really designed around that. But the other real primary reason is just the software, right? There is no built-in app on Quest that you can rent a movie or a 3d movie or even a movie at all and just start downloading and 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 watch it on a plane right that's not something you can actually even do on quest at all when it comes to being a monitor it's that it simply doesn't have the resolution so vision pro is this portable tv that's bigger than your home tv and portable monitor that finally has the resolution to really match A monitor, not the best monitor, it's somewhere between, it feels like somewhere between 1440p and 4K, right? And it strongly focuses on those use cases while having a made-for-spatial operating system, Vision OS, that clearly sets the foundation for this headset line, because it is Vision Pro, there will be a Vision someday, or a Vision Air, or whatever they call it, to be a lot more in future. For now, though, what Vision Pro's weaknesses are, is gaming. The thing the quest is best at the thing the quest primarily is right primarily quest is a games console is where vision pro falls down it's like comparing a playstation portable back in the day to an ipad right the ipad is what you what you would ideally want if you're watching movies or videos or need to do some general web browsing but it'll it doesn't have the, the thumbstick and buttons of the playstation portable if you want to play a game you're going to pick up the psp that's it's a very loose analogy but i think that's kind of where we are today with these headsets
0: Yeah, very quick rundown of a lot of depth you've got in your review. And uh, do want to call out a couple of cool comments here. Arlen's comment uh, is the where is, there's actually a couple Arlen comments. Arlen, I hope the mic request for Quest 4 is built with the idea of being able to do singing in karaoke metaverse platforms like VR chat and banter. It's my favorite social VR application. Yes, totally. 100 percent agree that karaoke is going to be a major use for VR over the long term. And uh, absolutely, it, it's it's such a misstep to do anything that messes with the microphones. And uh, yeah, apologize if my eyes are glitching. I don't know what that is in the, the current system. Um, I'm going to push back on the gaming in a non... So, so let me preface this by saying I am in a relationship with an Apple employee... I am going to say that now, uh, going forward, uh, when necessary, uh, talking about uh, the Apple Vision Pro review that you wrote, I think is a good time to make that mention. Um, I've been an Apple customer for a very, very, very long time. I've had uh, these devices in my life uh, going back to childhood. And... Uh, In modern times, playing games on iPads and iPhones makes up a major segment of of the types of games I play. And in recent days, uh, even minutes before coming into the studio, I pulled up the Rec Room iPad app on the left, GamePad enabled, uh, according to the description on the App Store. And then I had, uh, previous to this, I had the Steam Link app up with Helldivers 2, uh, in a giant window right here. And then over on the right, I had Stardew Valley, uh, all three of these controlled by gamepad, uh, hypothetically. And then uh, if you connect them directly to the headset, it's a matter of just uh, pinching on the windows to have it uh, take that input to each of those devices. Um, I had a little bit of glitchiness trying to do that, trying to get the the uh, gamepad to go back and forth between the three windows, uh, yesterday, we just wrote about Proton Pulse, the first good, fully immersive VR game that you can play on Apple Vision Pro. We're, we're weeks into this headset being on the market. David Heaney has published a 12,000 word uh, breakdown of this, the system and what it offers. But we are still on day one of them building out any kind of a software relevant platform here and i just want to take a deep breath and say like it isn't a gaming platform you are correct on that however it is still enormously neat to have three gamepad games on what very different types of platforms all surrounding me in three windows all at once controlled by a gamepad and like for gamers that's like the definition of the word gamer comes at issue there when you've got hell divers you've got a touchpad game you know a touch screen game as well as uh like a vr game that you're playing on a flat screen like you're you're asking that's not a normal gamer that's not a person who plays shooters all day as their normal genre that's a different type of gaming mechanism where you're you're in the queue for hell divers and you decide to go uh tend to your crops over here for a little while that is the type of paradigm we are moving towards as i guess my point
1: Yeah, I think what I really should have said is immersive gaming. You're absolutely right that if you're the type of gamer, because there are many definitions of the word gamer, if you're the kind of gamer that plays your games on iPad, then Vision Pro is a gaming device for you because a huge number of those types of games are available on a floating window. And as you say, you can get the Steam Link app and play your PC on a giant virtual screen. Now, when it comes to portability that doesn't really hold up because you're not going to carry your whole PC around with your vision pro. You can still play those iPad style apps, but you know, steam link is not going to work well at all over that kind of network. I am pretty sure steam link by default without some custom configuration, isn't even going to allow you to remotely connect to your PC. So, There does become that issue there that as soon as you're dependent on another device that becomes a problem if you're taking your quest on a business trip you can play vr games immersive vr games in the hotel room or if it's on a holiday you can play it in uh the the waiting room or you know on the plane i was sitting there on a recent plane flight playing cubism you know that's the type of game that does work very well on vision pro But it's that immersive core gaming that Vision Pro is a weakness on. But we shouldn't focus too much on this because that's not what the product was ever pitched for. The thing is that, as you say, yes, developers are going to be releasing a lot of stuff on Vision Pro over the next few years, and this is only the start. But the lack of controllers is going to limit what they can deliver. The the best games on Quest do not support hand tracking. Or if they do, people don't use hand tracking on them. They still choose to use controllers for all of the obvious reasons. Yes, Vision Pro is getting some interesting VR games and and some interesting AR games. But every time I'm playing them, I'm just thinking I would much rather be holding a controller right now. And that's not Mm -hmm. something Apple is going to support for the very, very foreseeable
0: future. Oh, yeah. No, it's 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 <laughs> it's funny you say that. So I'm in my Quest Pro. Uh, and like I said, it's been a little while. Uh, one of the problems I've had with the Quest Pro is the left controller, I'm left handed, won't or hasn't been able to Bluetooth sync uh, with the headset for a very like it hasn't been able to pair uh, it. So I've had a right hand only controller device which meta has now making use of with their latest multimodal feature set where i can have a hand uh tracking for my left hand and hold a controller from my right hand or vice versa yeah we're, that's coming very soon right yeah and we're going to talk about that later that's in our on our
1: fourth topic and um, just yeah. coming back to to vision pro it'll be interesting to see um what kind of support that has in in future years and you know will they have some sort of even one-handed controller two years from now five years from now will it be something like a stylus uh it's it's difficult to say but let's let's not focus too much on gaming around vision pro i understand a lot of our audience are gamers i understand that you know we are gamers and a lot of the stuff we cover is gamers but again this isn't what they're pitching this device for when it comes down to it this is a a device that turns screens into software and for the first time in a headset, it has the resolution to do that in a way that isn't bad, right? So yes, on a Quest 3, you can make a giant virtual monitor that is bigger than your field of view. And from that, you can do some sort of productivity, but you're actually having to move your head around to see the same monitor. When I say that Vision Pro finally has a resolution, I mean within your field of view. And that's where that multitasking starts to become important, especially where uh, is, as you say in Vision OS, you can have your PC in the middle and a Vision OS app to your left and an iPad app to your right. It is a it turns apps and screens into into the same kind of software that exists within the same environment. And for now, for the very foreseeable future, that's going to be Apple's focus on this, as well as you know making it really convenient and easy to access traditional content, be that traditional games, as you say, or traditional movies and TV shows as well as obviously 3D TV shows, because no television you can buy can these days can do 3D at all. And even the ones that used to exist, the 3D on them is terrible compared to Vision Pro. One of the things I was just blown away by when Vision Pro is 3D movies. If you've written off 3D movies and TV shows as a gimmick, try to find a Vision Pro sometime in the next year that you can try and just load up you know Avatar two or one of the other movies like the new Lion King and just sit there and watch because it's not your this is not your father's three D this is three D without the trade offs it's additive not taking away anything and it looks utterly incredible watching a three D movie on these four K near four K OLED micro displays in Apple Vision Pro sells the headset in itself now obviously we'll talk later about the price and the positioning and the market but. As I said in my review, on the way home from New York, I had an economy class seat on the plane, and yet I had a better movie watching setup than anyone in first class by far. And that's the real strength of this product right now.
0: Yeah, and it, it actually figures into some of the strange math that people have to do. I, I sold my car uh, because I'm a New York resident. It doesn't make sense to have a car here in New York, but... Uh, it's also a thirty five hundred dollar headset, and that's 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 significant right like and also plus an insurance policy if you're paying for the Apple Care Plus program in order to protect the device it it ultimately starts becoming one of the most expensive things someone owns the moment you purchase it uh, so there's a lot to consider there, and I think about this TV and, and you stressing so much about this TV you said effective resolution of about Fourteen forty, you think is what you would get.
1: It feels somewhere between fourteen forty and four K. It's better than a fourteen forty P monitor, but it's not as good as a four K monitor.
0: Yeah, and so it was. It is the critical line of your entire review. So twelve thousand words. You can uh, control F on the page and find this single line that David Heaney wrote that it has the resolution to deliver. Right, and he has. This is this is a crusader against people misrepresenting the resolution of their VR headsets. He's, he's been after it for years, and he's telling you that, that Apple has picked an entry point here where flat screen content feels higher resolution than for what some people only have 1080p. There's a, there's a large number of people in the world that are still enjoying the vast majority of their stuff at 1080p or below. And you're telling me that Apple has targeted right above 1080p at the baseline for all this 2D content that you would enjoy in VR. And I I want to go back to this 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 thing this this overall trend. What you're saying is Meta is starting from or Apple is starting from its strength of 2D content. They've got 2D apps, 2D movies, 2D um, uh, TV shows. Um, as well as a backlog of 3D content they can tack on to all of those things. Plus NextVR, uh, they purchased several years back to form the basis of Apple immersive video, this 180 degree format. Um, It's all, like that's, that's starting to move into immersive. Starting with this flat content, you're talking about Apple starting with the strength of all these partnerships that they've built. Disney, uh, all the app developers and all the content creators building for the TV ecosystem. That's where Apple's starting meta is starting from the strength of fully immersive virtual reality apps, great VR games. They they've got that all built. They've built it for the last several years, an entire store full of this stuff. Plus a bunch of really interesting things you can go check on horizon worlds for free. Uh, before even getting to the really deep, heavy stuff, that's where Meta is starting. Now, what I what I, before even that, I go and look at the comments and see, like, I can feel the pressure, the weight of all the people out there wanting to commentate on like the failure of Apple or the winning of Mark Zuckerberg and Meta, and neither of those are are fair assessments of one company beginning at. Where its strengths are and another company having already built out those strengths over the last couple of years you're muted
1: yeah i think that's a very valid assessment as you say they are both coming at this for different angles and the big question over the next five years is which can get from their starting side to to cover the others better Because as you say, the focus of Vision Pro is bringing over traditional content. Yes, you have some 3D content, but it's still flat. Yes, you have some 180 degree 3D videos, but there's like four or five of them and and they're five minutes long. That's, That's interesting and it's really promising and the immersive content on Apple TV Plus Uh, they call Apple Immersive Video, which comes from that next VR acquisition, is incredible. It finally has the bitrate and the resolution to not suck because 180 degree and 360 degree video the vast majority of I've ever tried, which is a lot over the past 10 years, sucks. Usually the bit rate's too low, which is an interesting problem. And I don't understand why Meta hasn't solved this until now, right? You open MetaQuest TV, you you launch a typical 180 degree or 360 degree video. It's blurry, it's low resolution. Like even on a fast internet connection, on the exact same internet connection, in the exact same spot, with a headset that actually has inferior Wi-Fi to Quest 3. Quest 3 has Wi-Fi 6E. This only has Wi-Fi 6. I load it up on Vision Pro. I load up a 360-degree video. Sorry, a 180-degree video. It looks incredible. That's just an example of implementation being right. But to come back to the broader point, yes, Quests focus and strength is on these fully immersive worlds where you are in a different place. You can interact with objects using either hands occasionally or mostly with these tracked controllers that give you a kind of facsimile of picking things up and interacting with things directly. That's a strength that Vision Pro just doesn't even try to get to right now. Over time, it likely will. But we know that Meta has wanted to do this too. The the pitch of Vision Pro was much the same as the pitch of Quest Pro. The problem is Quest Pro was underpowered. Its its processor just wasn't powerful enough. It was under spec. Its resolution simply wasn't good enough to, to replace screens. It has you know pretty much half the uh, per-axis resolution of the Vision Pro. And that means it just couldn't deliver on this promise. So I think Meta badly wants to do everything Apple is pitching right now and doing really well the question is how much does apple really care about doing what meta does because if you look at like mac and windows for example sure steam is available on mac but it's not apple's biggest focus it's not what they market it around the vast majority of gaming that happens on a pc platform happens on windows uh, the same thing when it comes to ipad it's a huge market there but only in the casual sense not in the uh, as much in the strongly immersive until very recently when you started to see uh, titles like resident evil and death stranding start to be poor over to those m2 ipads is apple going to be able to compete with with quest maybe not but in the same way did it matter that the ipad net didn't deliver the same gaming experience as a playstation portable the playstation portable you know it died out as a niche portable gaming device and the ipad became this generally useful utility device that had some games but not of the same kind of uh, caliber there it's it's an interesting question but yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see as well what way Google and Samsung enter this market. Are they going to be more around the immersive gaming, or much more likely are they going to try and take on the same pitch as Vision Pro?
0: Well, I think we've got to we've got to respect our audience here a little bit, and uh, the the fact that we aren't uh, shills for Meta or Apple, uh, and we're going to have to move on from Apple here fairly soon. I turned off the eye tracking here. I thought i did no it's still going i'll turn it off again because apparently it's freaking people out the eye tracking so i'll try to turn that off again in a minute um i think it's the value proposition are we ready to talk about that soon yeah
1: but first just for your eye tracking i think the problem with quest pros eye tracking is it's really really heavily dependent on how you have the headset on your head a couple of centimeters up or down can really just break the whole thing that i've noticed that Apple Vision Pro's eye tracking is significantly more robust, and that's likely because Quest Pro only uses one camera per eye, whereas Apple Vision Pro is using two cameras per eye. There could also be, you know, software and, and processing power differences uh, there as well. But we're going to talk about the value proposition here. But if anyone has any questions about Apple Vision Pro, keep in mind that we uh, both have it, and we can answer your questions here in the comments. If anyone does have any questions. Uh, to make it easier for us to see, please put a question mark at the
0: end. Um, Is it, sorry, go ahead. Is there, is there space for me to talk about how I've been using it? Because I think it's like, there is no, there is no replacement, right. For your analysis. The 12,000 word uh, review did is absolutely. Like I said, it is the defining uh, technical analysis as hardware, but you're also not, an apple user uh at heart, so it's it's still you're 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 dipping into a new ecosystem um whereas i am I'm very very deeply into that ecosystem and i and I do think the first customers for this headset are largely going to be existing Apple customers right so what let me start off this this thing before i before I see if people want to hear my experience with it. But asking you, like, what would it take for you to go all in on Apple? Like, is this going to be a gateway or are there things that are going to keep you uh, using all your other computing devices for a very long time?
1: That's a very interesting question. Um, You know, it's not that the Vision Pro would be the limitation there. Uh, I am someone who chooses to use a Windows PC and I use a Google Pixel Android phone, and you know, now I use an Apple headset. I I understand and, and appreciate and have seen firsthand the advantages of ecosystem integration. I don't think it's as necessary uh, as people think, though, especially given the fact that I'm essentially using this Vision Pro as, as a work device right now. The, the main use case I have for this, and yes, to answer your question beforehand, I would love to hear about how you're using Vision Pro, because we can talk about all of this kind of abstract idea of where it fits in the market, but Let's talk about how we each use it. I use it as a portable work setup, you know, so I have my main work setup up with my Windows PC, um, a, game, a gaming PC in front of monitors at a desk. But with Vision Pro, I can just carry a Bluetooth keyboard and I can work very practically in bed or I can work on the couch while I'm uh, also watching another piece of content, uh, even while I'm watching the regular TV, because the pass-through is good enough that they, uh, when it comes to uh, dynamic range, that you can even still use a TV. That's what I personally really enjoy Vision Pro as right now, as a, essentially a portable monitor. You may say you could do this with a laptop sure but i hate having to strain my neck down and look at a a little 14 inch screen it's really great to be able to actually sit back in a a comfortable posture with a bluetooth keyboard in a immersive environment or sometimes a partially immersive environment where i have my real environment to my sides and then a virtual one in front of me and just deeply focus on uh, work or writing or even sometimes just reading pieces of articles that's what i use this for right now so yeah definitely let's talk to us about what you use this for
0: all right well well first off i i, I went to the menu system and double checked it and i have clicked the red button in the menu that says pause eye tracking and i'm gonna blink my eyes for you on the MetaQuest thro- quest throw 3 in version 63 which i guess is a beta release right like i, I guess version 63 would be would be a, a testing release so here's me uh, clicking the pause button on eye tracking, a very significant safety feature on the MetaQuest ecosystem. And here I am on an app lab app that is still passing my eye tracking through. So before I say uh what I've been using so so that's there's that i'm I hope someone from MetaQuest is seeing this because I hope that gets fixed um, i s i've wrote I've written my last few articles in Vision Pro. And I didn't just write them. Um, yesterday, David, I, I sent you a video. Uh, Adobe Firefly is uh, one of the apps that you can use on um, Apple Vision Pro. That's a generative AI app. I wanted to test it out and see what would happen. Um, installed it uh, in my office and had it uh, flat up against a wall. And uh, tried, well, one day I tried generating Star Trek. I I just typed in Star Trek, the generative AI, and it didn't produce anything intelligible, teaching me that it apparently hasn't been trained on popular media, which is kind of a cool idea to interact with a generative AI that hasn't uh, had that. So it actually forced me to write out a couple sentences. So I wrote out a sentence and it produced a picture. I took that picture out of one wall and i put it over to another wall on the other side of the room and that wall was the slack window where i had a slack chat going with david then i hit the record button on the vision pro and went back and changed the generative ai prompt i said add cats to the scene hit generate and uh, waited about 30 seconds because it took a second to generate the thing And then I had my new image. I grabbed it out of the picture and I put it over into the Slack window. And then I hit stop recording. I took that video and I sent it into the window too. I I produced three pieces of content in VR with an AI assistant and I sent them over to a Slack window from one space to another. I have been spending... uh, that That was yesterday. But over the weekends, when I'm usually trying... To rest from VR headsets, like sometimes I'll show them off. I've been putting on Vision Pro and watching multiple hours of movies, uh, as well as having multi-hour FaceTime calls. And I've been doing doing this really weird behavior where I'm adding (laughs) two different Vision Pro owners that did not know each other in the real world onto the same FaceTime call because they're both talking about the same identical subjects. We're talking about 3D models that can be shared in space. We're talking about 3D movies that can be watched with depth at a quality that's better than any movie we've ever seen in theaters. Um, I'm getting bootlegged uh, 3D objects sent to me by people who have been doing 3D scanning for years. Um, I'm getting uh, spatial videos that have been uh, produced... Uh, out of content that wasn't originally intended to be spatial video. Because these are the people who are like experimenting with the very front edge of the software. But I'm in a FaceTime call one night and he's like, oh, check this out. By the way, I can hand you a 3D model. And in a message, he he basically pops the 3D model into our conversation. And I'm pulling it around my environment, resizing it. And I'm like, so... That's just the beginning, right? Uh, I have I've removed the monitor from my office. I don't think I'm going to have a monitor going forward in my office. And yesterday, what I set up was, for the first time, if you have a dedicated space for Vision Pro, you can really position the windows around you in a really, really useful way. Uh, so, like, um, one of the things I noticed, David, is uh, you've got to kind of grab the window like this and then stand right in front of it And then put the window up to the wall like you're almost like hanging something. And if you do that just right, it's like the window that you've placed is placed flat against the wall very, very nicely. There's no space, and it's not tilting at an angle. You can do this for a ton of different widgets in your environment. And I spent all of yesterday with a Twitter window over here. Well, no, so the Twitter window was over here, and I was interviewing... Over DM on Twitter, the creator of Proton Pulse, and getting the story, this is an amazing story, of a journey over a decade of creating this game for the DK1 back before there was even Oculus Share. And here we are, uh, more than a decade later, and this developer has put their game out on the Vision Pro as one of the first... Fully immersive VR apps. And he's giving me the blow by blow of everything that happened along that way. And it's like, wow, this is all happening in VR, right? Like this is a window over here of my Twitter window. And then here's my writing window over here. And I'm taking the comments happening over here and I'm putting them into our article over here. And over here, I've got my Slack window where I'm updating you on things or, or following weird threads. The way I uh, hop off topic here, it leads right into my uh, real-world environment. You can see all these distractions around you, or you can throw all the distractions away and just have your writing window right in front of you. I've done all of these things, and I'm testing all of this out on an ongoing basis. Uh, my favorite moment, though, in this in the Vision Pro was What I described, having Stardew Valley over here, having Steam Link right here and being able to have a gamepad go back and forth between the two of them was a really, really, really cool tease of the future, even though I haven't done that for multiple hours yet. The things I've been doing for multi hours are these FaceTime calls with all sorts of discussion in them about just. What's good on the uh, what should I be buying on the iTunes movie store or uh, what what movie is good to watch in 3d? Uh, how do you actually get content from here to here? Where's the window? it's not just that the the screen sharing I have to talk about screen sharing right like it's so you can get on a FaceTime call and then hit screen sharing and the person is looking out your eyeballs and that's going to change a lot of people's perspectives about this technology in a very slow, like methodical way. It's going to take, you, what am I seeing right now? You don't really process that the person isn't holding the phone up in front of their ha- hands. What you're actually seeing is out my eyeballs. So I've given tours of my apartment to family members who are thousands of miles away, uh, shown my new office off uh, to, to family members to to show them what VR is about. I could, if this was a broadcast in a Vision Pro, uh, which I don't know if we want to do yet, um, I could, if I wanted, use the pass-through to pick up all of the objects around my environment and show you, okay, actually, the, the big screen beyond is actually only this big, but the MetaQuest 3 is this big. Um, it's, and, and again, like we're talking about going from opposite ends right here. Like You can do that. I could turn on pass-through and do this on a Quest 3. But I'm talking everything yesterday, I, I I worked so long in the headset, the headset rebooted. And I've done that on a Quest plenty of times, right? I've had the headset die on me so many times, right, David? Uh, on an Apple Vision Pro, if the headset dies, what happens is you get the Apple logo in the middle of your pass-through view, and it just fades in and fades out as it's trying it was a boot loop so it kept uh fading in and then fading out and the system just sat there for five minutes this apple logo floating in my pass through environment uh until i finally uh, reached behind my head and disconnected the power cord and reconnected it and that actually rebooted the headset point being it was a pass-through experience even in a boot loop and it was really incredible to see that experience from a completely different end of like this where like if it if it dies i'm my headset is just black right
1: yeah i think you make a lot of great points here as i said in my review vision pro is a piece of hardware priced at 3500 didn't hugely impress me as a piece of hardware right The magic in the hardware here is those near 4K OLED micro displays. If you were to put, you know, the same LCDs as Quest 3 in this thing, it's not substantially better than a Quest 3. And it has its own disadvantages, such as, you know, the hefty weight and the the lower field of view and the light seal that lets through light. But what did impress me greatly, and, and you've pointed out many of the advantages of, is Vision OS, the operating system. The magic in this product is the software. The hardware, for the fact that it's $3,500, to be honest, I expected a bit more. But the software is so far ahead of the Android fork that you get in Quest or Pico that it's to the point where you would wonder how could a company like Meta or Pico ever catch up? It is so so cleverly architected for the use case. As you say, for with examples about the fact that it seems like apps aren't even given any CPU or GPU time until the headset is fully composited, pass through, plus what the previous content at Windows of Windows were. So you never get frame drops. And there is this: there are two kind of modes within this, and one is the shared space, which is where you can run all of these apps alongside each other as many as you want, positioned wherever you want, including volumetric apps that might include, you know, a game that runs on your tabletop. Uh, you might be playing chess while you can pull up as Ian said, FaceTime or Safari or an iPad game and or your your Mac screen. And then there are full space apps and they are what you're used to on Quest 3. Pretty much every app on Quest 3 is the equivalent of a full space app where that app completely takes control of your space. And while Envision Pro, it may use some of the system APIs to have some level of consistency, it's essentially its own thing. The magic is in the shared space and what that enables and the, the kind of spatial computing that Ian is pointing out Yeah, it is incredible. Now, the problem is that it doesn't run macOS apps by default, so this isn't really a replacement for your laptop. You still need to carry around your laptop, and that's something I harshly criticize in the review. It seems fundamentally possible that one day Apple will let you run macOS apps directly in the headset, and that would dramatically change the value proposition of this for me. If you didn't need to carry around the MacBook Pro, but you could still do your macbook workflow that would make this a very very different product the one thing that ian and i disagree on because we might as well you know talk a little bit about that is the, the current value of facetime ian, ian really enjoys his facetime calls on vision pro uh i'm don't find that to be <laughs> uh, fun let me let me discuss first and you can give me your response fair, I don't find right, it fair been, yeah to be to be useful at all to be honest and um, what you get is essentially a, a floating webcam view of the other person that is you know a horrifying uncanny valley version of them It's not even 3D. You're not seeing into a 3D window. You're essentially just getting a configurable size, place anywhere, synthetic webcam view of them. So it's not like in VR where Ian and I are in the same coordinate space right now. You know, we can point at at this same object and he can see what I'm pointing at. And, you know, if we are in something like VR chat or rec room, we can hand each other objects and interact in a dynamic environment. It is the same paradigm as on a monitor where someone is in a, a squared rectangular uh, webcam grid. They they see what you see if you're sharing your screen or you're on something uh, like a SharePlay video content app, but you're not looking at it from the same angle together. Now, Apple does plan to release uh, personas, uh, spatial personas in the future that will essentially be like what we have here, avatars, except with that obviously high level of visual realism. And that's what I'm really excited for. That to me makes FaceTime and the other... Collaborative use cases of Vision Pro a lot more useful. But from right now, I don't find any advantage over uh using a real webcam for FaceTime. And if you're if you're calling someone who's not in the headset, you know, a lot of Ian's calls he's talking about are, are other people that are in the headset. If you're calling someone that's not in the headset, it's just horrifying. You know, your actions will range from what the fuck is that to <laughs> screaming, you know. It, it's just it is not a practical way to FaceTime anyone that's not already in a Vision Pro.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he got it there. He got it there by the end of what I was gonna say too. And uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna flip the script and, and be as horrible to this technology uh, as David has been. Right? Like I called family who 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 turned the video off because it was that off putting to look at the persona, and that's absolutely what I expected. I talked to CNET on our last show here, where they they we both knew that was coming. It is not a great experience to take. To take those calls off Facetime, but I will say that people with poorer vision or older in life don't notice the off. You know, like it's not as off-putting think, <laughs> really? to everyone. I, I, I'm, we'll put it. We'll, why? We'll, 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 could be wrong. You don't. I. I just. It's like it's not not as noticeable if you've got. Uh, I, I, I'm both, okay. Yeah. Like, if you're correct if your if I'm wrong, we'll
1: blind, maybe she won't notice that you're, uh,
0: on a know, to, you okay. know, my, my brother didn't have a problem with it. My mother didn't have a problem with it. My kids, my, my, my oldest was like, no, I'm turning this off. This is horrible. And that could be right. That's a teenager. But I think that's a very valuable insight, uh, that I totally expected, right? Like this is a person who has a uh, great vision. Uh, and they're like, no. And I say this, like the vision thing I bring up, it's, it's on my mind all the, all the time. Um, you can go to search accessibility, Apple vision pro and read, uh, an accessibility engineer who I talked to, who has, uh, some vision impairment and they have an app that they've developed for vision pro or inside for iPhone for use by people with low vision, uh, in order to navigate, uh, their surroundings or, or to have, Uh, tools around them through this iPhone app. Uh, Apple Vision Pro actually has quite a number of accessibility settings, and the whole flow of getting your prescription order for these devices is very, very interesting. I'm in active reporting on this right now as I speak. Uh, I went to the eye doctor and got my prescription lenses for this headset myself, and uh, stuck them on, and it's a big help. But I I guess we should, before we move on from Vision Pro, I think we need to discuss... This very, very hard subject that, you know, it was the other part I loved about your review so much is three different times in his review. David Heaney points out that uh, anyone that you see taking Vision Pro out uh, outside for use is doing it for clout, and it's not actually supposed to be used uh, in that manner. Um Sorry, I lost that train of thought. I lost my train of thought. That was a very, very interesting point. You're not supposed to use uh, Vision Pro outside, even though I did kind of force you to go outside. Uh, one of the reasons is this HDR thing. You called it a major flaw. This the fact that the I'm completely blacked out right now. I can't see the environment at all. But if I was in a Vision Pro, you do get a little bit of uh, indication of light coming in from the outside. You called it a terrible flaw, right?
1: Well, I call it a design flaw. Yeah, the, the problem with the Vision Pro's light seal, note the word, the, the phrase light seal, as in the purpose of this component is to block out light, is that it doesn't block out light. You have, You can see this black light seal or facial interface on the quest 3 Uh, plenty of other headsets have it the vast majority of headsets have it it keeps out the stray light and not only is that for immersion it's because if that stray light does come into the headset it will uh, reflect and reflect through the lenses and give you these horrible uh artifacts uh, optical artifacts and just you it's terrible the glare is awful so the problem with vision pro is that this is not fully opaque this light seal the material they've chosen lets through light. So if you're actually in the room and you have a bright light off to your side, it will shine straight through the light seal and bounce around in the lenses. And that's a pretty terrible experience. You'll have to turn your head or turn the light off. That's why you can't use it outside. It's one of the reasons you can't use it outside because if you're in sunlight, sunlight will do that. The sunlight will will come through both sides and the top of this, the light seal. Again, described on Apple's website as blocking out light. And cause those horrible glares and reflections. So yeah, that is one of the reasons you can't use this headset outside.
0: So, but I want to go back to the prescription and pass through thing because I just I want it on the record once here of us talking about it and the fact that we've put we're putting a lot of thought into it. It's a very difficult subject to discuss, but uh, there are cameras on here. There are cameras on here, and then if you go get a Ray Ban uh, pair of glasses from Meta. You can go get prescription lenses for uh, those pair of glasses. So you've got a pair of glasses you go and get from one company, uh, Meta. You can get, get a headset from Meta or you can go get uh, this from Apple and you can get prescription lenses for this one. You can get prescription lenses for this one. But here's where we're all we're going with this. Uh, David, your vision, unaided eye, is 2020, right? What do you see? when you look through the pass-through on Apple Vision Pro and MetaQuest 3?
1: Yeah, um, I believe it was 2050 for uh, Quest 3 and 2040 for Apple Vision Pro. You'll need to check our article for that. I have the exact details. But essentially, both of these headsets offer you a significantly worse vision than what you would get in normal life. Uh, The reports that initially came out about Vision Pro that, oh, it was like looking through a transparent optic um, in anything but the most ideal of light. It's complete nonsense. It is very clear that you're looking through Mm. a video camera feed. This uses... Quest 3 uses 4 megapixel color cameras. This uses 6.5 megapixel color cameras. To get to what they claim is almost indistinguishable from natural sight, Vario's XR4, which we talked about a few months ago on this podcast, uses 20 megapixel cameras. So Quest 3 4, Vision Pro 6.5, Vario XR4 20. You can see that there's a massive leap needed um, you know, more than three times in resolution for this to get to normal sight. It is at the point where anything beyond around a meter or so you're not going to be able to read fine text in either of these headsets. Like, yes, vision pro is better. It's less grainy. It's, uh, you know, more clear, but it's not dramatically. So it really still just feels like you take the quest three and you boost it by maybe 50 or 75 And we have a comment here saying, did Apple say it's indistinguishable from real life? No. To be clear, Vario, a completely different company that makes a headset called the XR4, said that they have made a uh, pass-through system that is close to indistinguishable. We plan to try the Vario XR4 at some point in the next few months, and we can tell you whether that's true or not. But it's interesting that they have that claim there at that pixel count, 20 megapixels.
0: and and to be clear, even if a headset, even if any of these headsets is able to match resolution um, to what your eye can discern, if they're able to cross the retina barrier, I guess uh, so to speak, with a headset, there are still depth cues that your eyes are able to discern about your environment. Um, your your uh, eyes change shape; the lenses change shape uh, and adjust differently based on the depth of objects, and also your eyes turn towards one another based on where your eye is looking. So even if headsets go and match uh, resolution, your eyes are still missing very important things that they get out of actual sight in the real world. And historically speaking, we have recommended the 20-20-20 rule. We've heard this rule uh, mentioned before, uh, but every 20 minutes, try to look at something 20 feet away for 20 seconds. Uh, take a headset off and try to do that every 20 minutes. That doesn't happen if you're spending three hours watching a movie in VR. And we are now having people doing that on a regular basis constantly because of everything you are discussing, David. So people's eyes are straining. People are talking about how their eyes hurt. There's a combination of theories and, and, and ideas as to the cause, right? This, has, this device has fans in it. Uh, it has a different type of breathable light seal that we just talked about. Um, there's all these different considerations that can affect how like and then there's the weight it's this heavy 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 thing on your headset all the time and then you've got people that have been reported like uh we like I've been reporting on this but you've got people who have been developing for these headsets for 10 years who are 10 years older than when they started developing for these things now suddenly doing all of their development work but also I want to go watch a 2 hour movie in VR too and wondering, why are my eyes hurting so much? Well, you're using it more, is is my argument, uh, partially, uh, for some of that explanation. Yeah, I think that is an interesting question.
1: I haven't had any eye strain personally, so I can't attest to this personally. But I have seen a few people, as you say, report. I would notice a very, very few. But a few people have reported eye strain. I wonder how much of this is, as you say, not just using it more, but using it more in the near field. A lot of the content that you're using when you're on a quest, you're interacting with stuff that's quite far away because you're typically in a in a large immersive environment. Even if you're in something like Bleach Saber, you're looking at these virtual blocks that are meters and meters away. If you're in a game, you know you're shooting enemies that are far off in the distance. When you're in Vision Pro. Because you have this high-resolution pass through, or at least higher resolution than before, and because you're interacting with a lot of these kind of virtual elements, you start to interact with stuff closer to you, especially when you're just looking down at your keyboard, when you're looking at your hands, and that starts to get into the area of where the, the vergence accommodation conflict becomes an important thing. As you said, there, there is an important depth cue missing there, and that is realistic focus. These headsets, just like every other headset that is shipped to date as an actual product, have fixed focus lenses. So that the image you're seeing, the virtual image, is constantly focused at something like uh, one point five meters, two meters. Some of them are infinite. It varies based on the headset, but what matters is that it's always the same. So in real life, when you are looking at something close up, your actually your eyes are changing focus to see something close up, and that can't happen in a headset. So we have obviously talked about on this show before the fact that we've tried hands-on, uh, very focal prototype. We tried a meta very focal prototype uh, at SIGGRAPH and it was uh, remarkably impressive. And the clarity difference at looking at things close up mattered. I actually think that with Vision Pro, a lot of the time you do actually start to notice it. We're actually at the resolution level. We're seeing stuff close up. You notice that the blurriness is no longer coming from anything in the optics stack or the the display having an inherent clarity limitation the problem is where the image is focused the interesting thing is that for pass through that will actually need to happen on both sides because not only will you need to focus the image that you're seeing on the display lens side on your on your eyes but the cameras will need to, to adjust their focus. That's something that happens in the higher end version of Vario XR4. So the default Vario XR4, I think, is something like three or four thousand dollars. And then they have this like seven or eight thousand dollar model that uses the same resolution cameras, 20 megapixels, but actually has dynamic autofocus. So based on where you're looking, they will adjust the focus of the external color camera. Now, Vario does not have f- adjust the focus of the actual display lens on the other side. So you're only getting one half of that equation. But yeah, to get to pass through camera uh, feed that will actually look like real life and that won't give you this kind of eye strain when you're interacting in the near field, you're going to need autofocus on the cameras and you're going to need variable focus on the lenses. It will be really interesting to see what kind of timeline this is productized on. We know that Meta has been working on this for years now. We know that they have given these kind of Tantalizing pieces where a few years ago they said half dome three, which is their prototype that does electronic varifocal with no moving parts, was uh you know getting into the final stages or something like that. And that was obviously years ago. Recently we saw them show a mirror lake concept, which kind of looks like what you know a future quest pro might be that had electronic varifocal and the reverse past you see in Vision Pro, but I, you know, Based on my understanding of where the technology is, it sounds like this is something that's going to arrive in the later half of the decade, something that might arrive in Quest Pro 3 or Quest Pro 4 rather mm. than anytime soon. And it doesn't sound like Apple um, is is planning to ship this anytime soon based on what we've heard about their priorities for the next Vision Pro. Um, I'll briefly talk about that. You know, There are reports coming in from the same kind of people who accurately describe Vision Pro saying that Apple's number one focus for the next headset beyond any other thing beyond performance or resolution or speeds or feeds or anything is making it thinner and lighter getting this thing to be more comfortable and lighter is going to be apple's top priority before adding any new features
0: okay well i think it's about time for us to move on to the next subject we're on the hour mark of our show do please like and share this link out with others as we move on to non-Apple Vision Pro things because this is going to be the stuff that actually interests the largest number of people because we're talking about headsets that they can actually afford. Um, But I do want to call out these two comments that are interesting in the comments uh, that almost appear to be exact opposites of one another, of people describing using VR since 2016 and experiencing eye strain and not experiencing eye strain. Um, That's That is what I'm competing against in my reporting. The variability of eyesight is an astonishing thing. I saw someone um, earlier in the show ask about sign language. That's something we've uh, reported on in the past. If you search sign language and upload VR, you'll find some of our reporting on that. But uh, it's a perfect example to talk about the, the social connection someone can feel in VR if they could put on a headset and be surrounded by 10 people who all spoke their native language. And that is something you could have with VR and specifically with the example of sign language. uh, You've got people who uh, traditionally had to go to a school somewhere in their town or their region far away from their family to find people who spoke their native language sign language. And that's something that, that VR opens up. Go ahead, David. Yeah let's I, I want to move on uh, here I just I want to talk about that thing that the variability of eyesight and the accessibility settings of these settings are something we 're going to come back to again and again and again, and it is not easy like eyesight changes over the course of your life even and that's hard so uh the the thing I want to leave on this subject as we move to other headsets David um what do you think is the likelihood we could get something like a vision pro max do you think they could ever ship a seven thousand dollar headset with verifocal
1: it's an interesting idea i i think no i think already at thirty five hundred dollars you're pushing heavily against affordability it becomes just uneconomical at that point um i think vision pro is the line where they're going to ship you know the latest and greatest and then try to bring that down i think when they release the non-pro Vision, they're probably going to want to match the performance level of Vision Pro, right? They're going to want to have the same resolution displays. They're going to want to probably, in my view, have an A-series chip from the iPhones that matches the M2 because this is going to be in the future. And by then they will have an A-series chip that matches the M2. And uh, this is the most controversial of my predictions. I think in the non-pro line, they're going to want to get rid of the external battery. I think that's going to be, the, the idea is they're, a few years after each pro i suspect they'll want to release a headset that does the same thing for cheaper and with more uh simple more mass manufacturable hardware and then you know it, if Apple's going to release Verifocal, it will be in a vision pro it doesn't need to be a max it might be vision pro 2 probably not though but it could be vision pro 3 it could be vision pro 4 in the same sense as meta mm. one last thing i wanted to say on that eye strain idea is it may also just be related to the interaction paradigm you know in vision pro your eye is the cursor you're looking around and selecting constantly you're moving your eyes so much and before this was released and even years before it was even known that apple was going to take this approach a lot of people had just explored this and one of the conclusions was and one of the reasons it kind of hasn't been used anywhere else in the industry other than you know some playstation vr2 games is that it is quite straining If you try to type on a keyboard like this, for example, you can theoretically on Apple Vision Pro's keyboard, dart your eyes between the different letters and pinch repeatedly, you know, pinch, 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 and type, but you don't, why not? Because it's really, really straining. So clearly there is a point at which rapidly moving your eyes around to select things becomes too straining. The question is, does just using the system if you're trying to interact with too many UI elements per minute, have that same effect over an hour or two. And if that if that does become the case, if that is the reason, that's going to be a huge problem for Apple going forward because they have bet that this is the future and interaction paradigm. They bet that this is a new touch screen. And we will we don't have time to talk about it in this on this episode, but next week I hope we will have some time to discuss a very different type of radically new interaction paradigm that meta may be pitching in the future from its wristbands but we don't have time to talk about that this week
0: all right let's move on here now that we've talked about that high end i appreciate the chance to to get that little transition here because we are talking about the quest 2 256 gigabyte unit disappearing from stock what does that mean about the possibility of a quest 3 light david
1: Yeah. um, As you said, if you didn't see this news article on Upload VR, the 256 gigabyte model of Quest 2 is gone. It is out of stock on Meta's website. It is delisted on pretty much every retailer. It's gone. So originally Quest 2 had a 64 gigabyte model and it was discontinued in 2021 and replaced with the 128 gigabyte model. And the whole time it's also had this higher storage model 256, but it's gone. And what this says uh, to us is that Quest 2 itself is on its final legs, because I think what's happened here, reading between the lines and just looking at the fact that this has never happened in the past so universally, for this to happen so late in the headset's uh, lifetime, it's pretty clear that they have run out. And one of the things that happened just after Quest 3 released is that they cut the price of Quest 2 so that it was $250 for the 128 model and $300 for the 256. And it seems now just a matter of time until they also run out of the 128 gigabyte, until enough people have bought it that presumably production has ended, though we don't have any sourcing that production has ended. Presumably production has ended. And uh, the question is obviously what comes next? And from a variety of sources and uh, reports, it seems clear that what's next is a headset to replace the Quest 2. You may think to yourself, wait a minute, wasn't that Quest 3? The problem with Quest 3 is that it started at $500, right? And right now, every day, every hour, probably every minute, people are still buying the Quest 2, not because they think it's a better headset, but because they don't want to pay $500. They want to pay $250 or $300. And so, What Meta needs to do and and reportedly wants to do is introduce a headset that replaces Quest 2 at the same price, somewhere around $300 plus or minus, uh, you know, plus or minus $50. They want to have a headset that people who just want to spend a few hundred dollars and get into VR and don't care about having the absolute best of everything can jump in. And so the first indication we got of this headset uh, was in early 2023 when a meta hardware roadmap leaked to the verge and it mentioned details about quest 3 which turned out to be right remember this was about six months before quest 3 all of those details turned out to be right it also mentioned about the cancellation of a 2024 model of quest pro 2 and you know the xr2 plus gen 2 processor was announced last month and notably there was no mention of Meta as a partner. So I think it's pretty clear that too was correct. And we're not getting a Quest Pro 2 this year. I'd also mentioned some things about glasses that we've covered separately and talked about on other podcasts. But the most interesting thing was it mentioned this different headset that was going to come after Quest 3. And the quote uh, from that leaked roadmap meeting was at the most affordable price in the VR market. And so that is what has, is reportedly called Quest 3 Lite, according to reports from uh, the Wall Street Journal, uh, from Bloomberg's Mark Gurman, and from a Chinese analyst who has been reliable in the past. And so we have a, a mock-up here, a highly speculative render made by uh, designer XR Carlos for Upload VR, showing what this might look like, because the reports so far all agree that what this headset is, is the lenses from Quest 2, the old Fresnel lenses, but with the new chipset from Quest 3. So it's a Quest 2 on steroids. The open question is whether it will have Quest 2's black and white pass-through or Quest 3's color pass-through. That's what we don't know, but what seems highly, highly probable is that this is the Quest 2's optical stack with the Quest 3's processing power.
0: I'm curious if they, if they really if they really do a good job of making Quest 3 owners feel like they weren't um, robbed, if if they really do a good job of differentiating these so that the Quest 3 feels like the upper end of the product, right? Like you're getting an upgrade by going to Quest 3. Um, I think they can do that with the Fresnel lenses. Like, I I think that makes that's a perfectly reasonable trade-off. It makes sense to me. Um, But you have to also, like, just do some other thing to make this these feel like separate products. if they succeed in doing that, there's going to be so many people that are Quest Three owners today who can go out and say, "Come on, get in! You get, it's now. It's two hundred cheaper. You're ready. It's time. Let's do this." Uh, that's and I like I'm seeing people in our comments saying uh, I have no interest in Quest Three uh, or Quest Three Light specifically uh, some people saying, yeah, this is some people realize this is going to open up the door to a lot of people. Uh, yeah. It's going to be a big moment. And I'm just want to say the follow on effect that all the people out there that have been um, looking for more content, looking for great games to play. I think there is every likelihood that meta tasked its own teams internally And uh, just developers externally holding on to some of their work until they can launch on XR2 Gen 2 devices across the board. So there is potentially a giant wave of content incoming for this headset uh, as well as the Quest 3.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's the fundamental point of this product, right? And, you know, when you replace Quest 2 with something at the same price, but has the new processor, you start the clock. Until a huge percentage of the market has the new XR2 Gen 2. And we've talked about it many times on this podcast. It has more than twice the GPU power. Some developers are already using it, but obviously most developers are still building their core target that what they really care and prioritize around the old XR2 Gen 1 from 2020. You know, it's it's getting up to four years old now. And that constrains what developers can do. That, you know, people's main complaint that don't own a standalone headset is typically that, you know, the graphics aren't good enough. And you can't keep driving forward the graphics if you have to keep prioritizing that old headset. Now, Quest 2 is going to be around for a, a very long time, obviously. Yes. But once this starts to proliferate, right, I'd say $250 or $300 or whatever it ends up. you eventually, a few years down the line, do get to the point where developers can build entire games around the XR2 Gen 2 processor that they simply wouldn't be able to pull off on the old one. And much sooner than that, what I think we'll have is developers that prioritize the new processor, you know, that essentially they build for Quest 3 and Quest 3 Lite and then they downgrade for Quest 2. In the same way that this happens with consoles, right? When the new PlayStation comes out for a, a, quite a few years, developers build for both. And they they push the graphics and, and fidelity and the uh, the scope on the new uh, console, but they also support the old one. But you start to notice that the old uh console starts to have kind of worse and worse. Uh, experience in the latest titles and then eventually it gets to the point where it's economical enough to build for just the new generation of consoles and that's when you see gaming push forward that's when you see what games can pull off from a technical perspective push forward and every day that meta still sells the quest 2 new they push forward the date that that becomes possible into the future and that's why i suspect this is going to come by the summer i think they're going to launch this in the first half of this year as the chinese analyst Uh, reported and you know we have Wobbo in our comments pushing back and saying you know the graphics will never be good enough at 15 watts regardless of the chip Um, and you know that's that's a view that some people have but if you look at the advancement here it is rather impressive right The, the quest 3 is more powerful than a playstation 4 and look what can be pulled off on a playstation 4 and psvr the the advan- like the advancement in mobile chips is is very, very rapid on the GPU, right? Yes, it's adv- uh, advancing on PC as well, but you do kind of, the thing about graphics is that from a perception level, it's not linear. You do get to this point where the diminishing returns hit hard, right? One of the problems with the new generation of consoles, you know, there's recently a report about how Sony has been disappointed with the seals of PlayStation 5. One of the huge problems there is that if you're like an average gamer and you're not like totally into the latest graphics technology and you, you know you don't watch Digital Foundry and look at every kind of specular reflection and every lamppost in a game and you just put on a game and play, you're not going to notice a gigantic difference between PS4 and PS5. You'll notice a difference, but it's not going to be the game-changing difference that you notice between PS2 and PS3 or PS3 and PS4, right? Or especially PS1 and PS2. Over time, you get to the point of diminishing returns. And so, as soon so once mobile, you know, mobile has started to advance to the point where every advancement is still meaningful. And yes, you're not going to get the graphics on Quest Three that you get on a typical normal console, right? But what I do know is that not almost no game so far has taken advantage, full advantage of what it would mean to build a a game from the ground up for the XR Two Gen Two. That's still years down the line, and what the closest we saw is Red Matter Two what a lot of people don't realize is one of the reasons that Red Matter 2 is one of the best-looking games in mobile VR arguably the best is that the developer Vertical Robot has their own fork of Unreal Engine where they have added all of these kind of uh, sorry tweaked all of these rendering features to to really be optimized for mobile VR and if you try Red Matter 2 on a Quest 3 that's the one preview of what it might look like for a game to, for games to be built from the ground up and I will say 100%, Red Matter 2 on, on Quest 3 looks better than a PlayStation 4 game, right? Or looks about as good as a PlayStation 4 game. Well, Imagine what happens when we get AAA content built around that kind. That's why Quest 3 Light like matters, to push the market in the direction that makes that possible.
0: It's funny. I, I think about the term set piece. I uh, I learned the term set piece during my tenure as uh, you know covering this job. And the idea of these big sp- Spectacular moments in video games when everything is exploding all around you, right? Red Matter Two, its environments are fantastic. Like it, it, it really does exactly what David is saying, but it's also this quiet sort of mist-like place that's that's dead inside. Uh, whereas the the market standard of video games right now is. How do we get dozens of people all in this place together and make you really feel like you're having a badass time, all of you together at once? And like that's still many, all the things that we need to do. That's the, that's the future generations of, of what these headsets need to do is how do we get these, how do we have giant explosions and fire and bullets flying all over you all while having all of the, the Red Matter 2 environments?
1: Yeah, um, we have someone in our comments pointing out, you know, Assassin's Creed Nexus. And, you know, it's games that have a large scope and, and budget and deliver the kind of things that Ian is talking about there. They take years and years to make. So Assassin's Creed Nexus and Asgard's Wrath 2 are cool, but they're Quest 2 games. Yes, you have a little bit of higher resolution and and frame rate and some added minor effects on Quest three, but fundamentally those are Quest two games. It got to, it, it's to the point where just as Quest two gets to its kind of its swan song, its 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 last kind of uh, push is when you finally get AAA games to take advantage of it. The question is, next holiday season, are we going to get games that are Quest three games that are really built around the Quest three and Quest three light? Maybe maybe this holiday season is that too soon, but I think we're going to start to see games at least where the art, uh, the the art assets, the scope, the scale are built with Quest Three and Quest Three Lite in mind, because we know that Asgard's Wrath Two, they were not thinking about the Quest Three at all when they were building that game, right? It was all about the Quest Two. So yeah, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see what what happens there, and I think we'll see obviously smaller developers do that first. There will be some small developers that say you know, from a passion perspective, look, I don't want to uh, sit and waste my time developing something for a four-year-old processor when my vision of what I want to build can't be done in a good way on that. I'm just going to build around Quest 3 and Quest 3 Lite. Today, if you try to do that, it's crazy because Quest 3 is obviously a $500 headset and not enough people own it to make that economical. But when you have this thing, you know, flying off the shelves at $300, maybe they'll, you know, do a bundle package where, you know, they include Asgard's Wrath 2 like they did with Quest 3, or maybe they'll include Assassin's Creed Nexus or, or you know, Saber or something. That starts that clock until things get to be built up. Pastel, the devil in our comments predicting the Quest 3 light is going to shock people with SEAL's number? I think so too, yeah. I think especially if they are able to pull off color pass-through in this, and we talked a previous episode about why I think that is the case. I think they're going to deliver mixed reality on this as well i think this is going to be a thing that is capabilities wise very very similar to quest 3 but just you know a single panel uh inferior fresnel lenses and no depth sensor but it's going to have the same kind of general capabilities
0: i don't Um, know i got disconnected there for a sec i don't know if you talked about pastel the devil's comment there the Quest 3 Lite is going to shock people with sales numbers, I'd predict. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. I think we got to move on to the next one because I want to talk about Quest Pro 2 here and it's very related as the next step in the process. So LG is probably going to make the Quest Pro 2. Isn't that right, David?
1: Yeah, it looks like it. Um, There was a report six months ago about this um, where they were talking about The idea that Meta had partnered with LG to make its future Quest Pro headsets. Um, Now we have another report from another South Korean news outlet that says that uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, Mark Zuckerberg is going to visit South Korea for the first time publicly known since 2014. In 2014, he was uh, there to finalize the details of the Samsung Gear VR Headset partnership. And apparently this time he is going to LG to talk with their CEO to finalize this new partnership. So, you know, Meta itself, uh, Meta Proper will be focusing reportedly on, uh, you know, the, the mid-range and the low end with Quest 3 and Quest 3 Lite, whereas it will let an experienced hardware company, LG, Develop the hardware for the, the high-end headset that will reportedly, according to that original report from six months ago, be priced around $2,000. So it's a lot more than a Quest 3, but it's still uh, notably cheaper than something like a Vision Pro. And the, the main point of the report is that this is apparently coming in the first half of next year. So we could be seeing you know a really rapid hardware cadence here from Meta, where you have you know Quest Three dropped in October, Quest Three Light in the next few months from now, maybe, and then you know within twelve months or so, you you have the the Quest Pro Two becoming a thing. So you have uh, products at three hundred dollars or roughly or something, five hundred dollars, and two thousand dollars, serving um different markets and different budgets based on how they want to join in, but. You know presumably all on the same software platform we'll talk a little bit later about how that could be the weakness in some ways
0: crispy saying that my hair has a nice shine and yeah sure i'm going to show it off right here yeah uh this is a big deal to kind of see a route past the quest pro um i was torn putting it back on today after so much time in the vision pro like it is such a different feel on your head, right? You've got so much weight on the back, but overall the balance is nice. But then it's it's got a different pressure. Uh, but then you you turn the thing on and you've got this pass through that is is so such a big big step back. And uh, on the other hand, you've got eye tracking, right? It's such a big step. I saw people in our comments talking about this this complication of the fact that. Meta only supports eye tracking really on the Quest Pro headset, yet we've got these two low-end devices that are unlikely to support it. Um, David pointing out that Meta is potentially building towards three headsets in 18 months uh, is a pretty big deal when you consider the idea that they've been uh, so focused around building value to the the MetaQuest store, right? So uh, if you've got three headsets all running XR2 Gen 2 or better. And they've invested another, uh, I can't even throw them numbers around but tens and tens of millions of dollars into content that runs on those headsets. And most of that content all still uses these great haptic controllers. You've got you've got an unbeatable system. I don't know. This is what we're we're gonna move to the end of this show here very, very soon. And I'm going to ask for my moment in the sun on a subject, but we've been warning the industry for years that meta is building an unbeatable an unbeatable system and i i fail to see like i i fail to see how they've not done it right like it feels like it's all coming together exactly on schedule
1: well i think that the weakness there is still going to be the software so sure you know firstly i'm actually skeptical about the hardware here i have a funny feeling or a bad feeling that meta is still going to push lcd panels into this thing i feel like the entire enthusiast community wants so badly for oled micro displays to arrive in a a meta headset and i just feel like there's some reason that meta is still going to try and push out some uh you know 3k lcd or something like that um but yeah the the you know as funky sloth in our comment is pointing out they don't have a proper os the problem is that Quest has a lot of great apps and games, but it's essentially a, you know, it's a console right now. It's everything is so disjointed. There's no true multitasking between spatial apps. The 2D apps right now are only web apps. You know, there's no proper Android apps other than the ones that you have to sideload, uh, which is obviously not practical for the vast majority of people. That brings me to a very interesting aspect of this report. And you know, you can see that some people in the comments have read the uh, source report itself because you see uh, someone saying oh it's going to have uh, it's going to run LG's web os funky sloth saying it's going to have a rubbish so it's extremely unlikely that meta is going to just dump its entire platform and os and and replay and start adding vr support to LG's tv operating system i think what the report was really saying here when they said incorporate if I had to guess, it seems much, much, much more likely that what this means is a virtual LGTV, right? So that within the Quest uh, system software, you'll be able to pull up an app or, or a feature called LG TV and you'll have all of the same streaming apps that are available on a real LGTV. And that means that Meta doesn't anymore have to get all of each one of these developers be it Disney plus and Netflix and Paramount and uh, Hulu and uh, HBO and however many streaming systems there are, including Apple TV plus to build a quest app. Instead they can just literally load on a virtual panel running webOS that downloads the same webOS software webOS again, being the the TV operating system for LG TVs and give you all of that by default. Um, and so that, that really would. Get up, get Meta's software to kind of get to the same level as Vision Pro when it comes to co-watch or when it comes to watching, not co-watching specifically, actually, as I'm sure Ian will soon point out, but watching traditional media. Because right now, the the situation of that on the Quest platform is woeful. You have this Netflix app that streams at 480p, requires controllers, doesn't support pass through, and most crucially, doesn't support downloads. You have a Peacock app that is just a shortcut to the website. You have an Amazon Prime Video app that is abandoned to the point it no longer works right there is still an amazon prime video app on the quest store if you download it it will not connect because it's so old it won't actually connect to the latest how and no one at meta has noticed this and taken it down and even just replaced it with a shortcut to the web app i don't understand but if this part of this partnership is lg giving meta a virtual lg tv inside every quest that solves all of these problems by default except uh, for uh, one Is uh, an
0: point out. i don't sorry i I can't follow the platform rot uh, of all these platforms too simultaneously like it's too much so you're telling me that the the amazon prime video app on the quest store is is broken within a year of them adding what lord of the rings home environments in partnership with amazon
1: yes yeah it's a very old app it's vr only you load into this kind of low poly cartoonish vr environment it must have been just I, I imagine it was made as someone's side project years ago, like a lot of these things. And then that person in classic Silicon Valley style got bored of their job after 18 months and hopped over to another company. And nobody at Amazon even knows it exists right now. And someone maybe might bring it up and go, oh, yeah, that guy that was here three years ago built it. I don't I don't know. As uh, happens. People every are saying people are wondering if it's a UK thing.
0: People are wondering if it's a UK thing, uh, and people are saying it was updated recently. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna need to go in there and see it. Regardless, you're not all wrong, and you're like it. Just the overall problem is exactly right. That that watching TV on the MetaQuest system is a largely solitary thing, unless you go into an app like Big Screen, Um, and that's that is like a multi-year giant problem to solve and i don't know who's going to solve it first um yeah it looks yeah it looks like maybe it is fault
1: for these people it doesn't currently i checked it a few years days ago maybe it is a uk problem if you look in the reviews you can see dozens of people having and i think the app has reviewed one or two stars because so many people have this issue maybe a couple of weeks ago they fixed it i last tried it a few weeks ago when i reviewed vision pro
0: well i'll still even if if it's better yeah it's still a miserable uh, experience overall watching most of the video apps that are on the quest yeah. ecosystem um, and then that's it's funny like over on the i haven't tried this app yet, but there's an app called television over on vision Pro, and I'm pretty sure the app television simply just reskins the video player window inside of a 3 d object so you can you can theme. Your video window like it's a TV of any of any kind you want throughout the last century. And I love that concept. It it really brings home the idea that VR is going to subsume entire categories of products.
1: Yeah, the the problem with the Amazon Prime app, just like the problem with the Netflix app, is that until very recently, the only way to make an app on Quest was to do something in a game engine like Unity and literally have to build an entire almost like virtual world just to do the most basic function, right? If you want to make a clock app that just shows the the freaking time on Vision Pro, you can just load up Xcode, use Swift UI and Swift and have that a windowed app And you can do that in probably like 10 minutes, right? And it'll just compile to your headset, kaboom, you've made a clock app. If you want to do that on on Quest until very recently, you have to literally have an entire game engine that loads this entire virtual world. And maybe you can add pass-through as a background feed, sure, but it's still within your own complete Unity runtime. And then use, you know, some either Unity's UI or, uh, you know, some App Store UI and kind of implement this all in just such a heavy, clunky way. Because, like I keep saying, the Quest platform... It doesn't have a software development kit. There's no Quest UI. There's no ability to make panel apps like Meta has. Very recently, you do see some apps that are hybrid apps where they can be panels in your Quest home system and toggle into Immersive. Steam Link was the first huge example. The YouTube app silently has worked like that too now. Still, those developers have to do all that UI themselves, so that is something that they still have to build like they're from scratch, but at least you can do that. At least you can have a panel app you know, that actually makes it a lot easier for developers to make an app. If Netflix, all they needed to do was just make a panel app, then all of those features, you know, from a tracked keyboard to pass-through to multimodal, all happens by default. The app doesn't, like on Vision Pro's shared space, the app doesn't need to handle all of these system features that should always have been handled by the system. They just have to build something that runs within a window, right? And then you can talk between pass-through, your home environment, the rendering of the home environment, Amazon Prime or Netflix should not care about the rendering of the home environment. They should not care about hand tracking and, you know, rendering your hands and avatars or supporting track keyboards. And they shouldn't have to, you know, every few months update the newest, fanciest SDK feature. All of this should happen. What they're still missing is some sort of UI library, right? They haven't made the UI library available for regular Android apps that they use to build all the panel apps. It's still something where they're going to tell you load up Unity Download the gigantic MetaQuest SDK and then download the, you know, meta interaction SDK. The huge advantage of Apple is that, the, yep. of Apple's ecosystem, is that they have a entire app development chain that is completely separate from Unity. So you don't need a game engine to build an app. And that's how Disney Plus builds an app for Vision Pro and will not be doing the same for Quest anytime soon.
0: Uh maintenance, multi year maintenance uh, of a of an app and, and getting it to be supported uh, is is a huge, huge problem uh, for devs to have to consider uh, on the the. So one of the experiences I had on Vision Pro was I shared my uh, browser window uh, with someone in a FaceTime call and it was Vimeo.com. I just picked a video that I was watching off of Vimeo, hit the share. A thing at the b- top of the window and boom it was popped up on his facetime call a browser video window is somehow playing and synced up uh in a synced up way across our two devices and i just picked a piece of content to do that with it's this is how it should function on quest and i don't know how how long it's going to take them to close the gap. we got to move through these last few subjects pretty quickly here. Anything you want to talk about before we do that? Just the last
1: thing I'll sum up is
0: that, yeah, I'm very interested to see what hardware they
1: pull off here. Um, At $2,000 with an experienced company like LG, we should expect good things, but the big weakness here is still going to be the software. But that's our next topic here. We're going to talk about some new Quest software features. And, uh, you know, the problem with these features is that... For most of them, they are things that when they get applied to the system, that you know, they've just been released, you don't load up your favorite app and find them there. Because, unlike, as I've just been saying, in Vision OS, where in the shared space, Apple controls rendering and lighting and, uh, you know, sound and all of these things. In Quest, every app is its own universe. And for any of these features to be supported happens per developer when they pull in the latest version of the integration for Unity, uh, you know, and then compile a new uh, version of the app that runs this. And, you know, I was speaking to a developer the other day that pointed out that they use an old version of Unreal Engine, Unreal Engine 4. So these new meta features, they can't support at all because they're not in Unreal Engine 5. It's just such a dramatically different kind of tool chain to the point where any feature I'm just about to talk about is not something you get automatically. These are per-developer features, but let's talk about them anyway because they, they are interesting within themselves. So the first thing we'll talk about is multimodal. So you, you should be aware that for years now, Quest has hand tracking and obviously it has controller tracking. And a game can support both of them so that when you pick up your controllers, it switches into controllers mode. And when you put down your controllers, it switches back to hand tracking mode. Uh, with multimodal, though, uh, the the distinction between modes disappears. If an app integrates multimodal and supports it, you can use any mixture of hands and controllers as you please. So uh, you can have a controller in one hand and hand tracking in the other hand. The the technical thing here is that picking up a controller in multimodal mode no longer disables hand tracking. Now, this only works on Quest Three or on a headset with touch pro controllers so you could do it on quest 2 if you buy the 300 touch pro controllers you can do it on quest pro because it comes with touch pro controllers the reason for that is that only quest 3 has the performance uh headroom to run hand tracking and controller tracking at the same time it actually always is doing that in the background anyway quest 2 doesn't have that extra performance headroom so you would need to touch pro controllers which track themselves but this opens up some really interesting possibilities uh, the first one is just that in apps that already use a single controller uh, like golf plus and 11 table tennis um, and a walkabout mini golf they could continue to track your other hand and that could be used just for social reasons so in golf plus they use these same meta avatars you could be you know holding your uh your, your club with with one hand and then kind of wave to your friend and point at something and say oh you know there's my ball over there or uh you know, I damn, I'm over in, that, uh, in the sand over there. It's just that's a social reason. They also could develop interfaces around that. So instead of having to sort of hold your club up every time and use it as the pointer for the interface, they could have a, a near-field direct touch tablet, for example. So you have your club here that's still held down, and you're using your other hand to control an interface. A lot of exciting possibilities. Uh, a possibility that Ian pointed out is that if you're using the Touch Pro controllers, Theoretically, this could be used for uh, foot tracking or leg tracking because you could have hand tracking on your hands and you could strap the Touch Pro controllers to your legs. That's something that obviously very few developers are likely to support for the obvious reason that most people don't have Pro controllers. But it is now a possibility on Quest because if you combined the inside-out upper body tracking um, on Quest 3 with Touch Pro controllers strapped onto your legs... You could then have a kind of fully standalone, full body tracking solution. And that's something you would hope that VRChat would be exploring sometime in the next year. But again, none of this happens by default. This will all require developer support. So don't expect it anytime
0: soon. Why don't you just run through the others uh, on this list uh, before we we comment on them? Sure. Um, The
1: other uh, major tracking feature is wide motion mode. So this is for uh, Quest 3 titles that don't use uh, inside-out body tracking. They just use hand tracking. And what this means is that when your hand goes out of view of the camera, such as when you have it above your head, it will will run inside-out body tracking in the background, even though it's not feeding the body model to to the app. It will run in the background and use the position of the arm to estimate the position of your hand. Because obviously your hand is attached to your arm. Now, obviously this means that your fingers will be frozen, right? So, you know, if, if in this situation, if this woman stood completely still and opened her hand, that would not be reflected. But if she moved her hand from side to side, it would. And the, the reason that this is useful is it means that if you're doing these kind of wide gesticulations in social, they'll no longer uh, stop being tracked. Um, a huge problem, obviously, is that Quest 3 doesn't have upwards-pointing cameras. It is downwards-pointing side cameras and forward-pointing cameras. But I'm in a Quest 2 right now, and my hands continue to be tracked up here. But in the same position, Quest 3 and Pro would actually not track my hands. So this wide motion mode um becomes quite useful. So you can see Ian there, his hands are kind of frozen, as he kind of brings up there. Neither of us are using a Quest 3. It would be great to actually demonstrate this right now, because I've actually implemented wide motion mode into our app, Um, But for the aforementioned at the start of the show, microphone reasons, we are not currently using this. So this is cool. This could mean that hand tracking games could support uh, Echo VR style locomotion, Gorilla style locomotion. It means you could reach over your back and kind of pull out a sword like plenty of controller games do. This opens up a lot of possibilities for hand tracking, though. Obviously, developers need to think about the fact that the fingers themselves wouldn't be updating in those situations.
0: It, it would be nice if Meta made a headset we didn't have to complain about uh, every week we came in here. Um, well, maybe that'll be Quest Pro too. Yeah.
1: You know, Meta is always... Yeah, maybe. Know, Apple had no budget for Vision Pro, right? And Meta... To
0: <laughs> yeah, they did it with $0, right? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean right, let's opposite, talk about the...
1: The opposite. You know, okay. they, they, they obviously didn't design that thing for cost. They, they, Apple designed Vision Pro thinking, what do we want to deliver? And then later on, they find out, okay, this is going to cost thirty five hundred dollars to deliver with a with our normal profit margin. Um, I, Quest Pro two is going to be I, I, an I, opportunity for Meta to have that same design philosophy.
0: Oh, good point. And i i think I think a lot about the moment that i that Zuckerberg said he walked into a demo with the Quest Pro, and he uh, they handed him an early version of it without the face shield, and he said, "We're just going to ship it like this." And then, at some point after that, I think they realized that people really wanted the the full VR uh, shield or the the side uh, they, they had the little side ones. But like it just you got this impression of this device that some decisions were made near the end, the last six months of of production that just kind of threw this product in the wrong direction. Uh, so I like that idea that we might see a second chance at that soon.
1: Yeah, the, the original Quest Pro seems like it was it went through development hell like some products did. I I like obviously we've moved on from that topic, but it'll be fascinating to see what they do. The other two things we'll talk about with Quest software here is um, that Meta has uh, apparently, according to Meta, asked Apple to let Quest be an AirPlay receiver. So that means that if Apple approves this, you can cast videos or your entire screen from your iPhone to your Quest. And that would also solve the media app problem for a lot of apps. You know, if you have a video you want to watch uh, on a giant screen on your iPhone, you just look down and pass through, use your iPhone, tap AirPlay, and boom, it's there on a giant screen in front of you. I think it seems fairly unlikely that Apple will approve this, uh, given its pretty awful relations uh, with Meta. Apple and Meta reportedly hate each other. Um, you're, you're muted, in. In you're
0: muted. I tried to install the MetaQuest app on my Apple Vision Pro, and I could not do it. So someone at Meta had to click the disallow button uh, inside the App Store so that I can't manage my uh, MetaQuest from my Apple Vision Pro. The, yeah, right?
1: all of their apps are disabled. None of Meta's apps are available on uh, the Vision OS App Store. For any of our viewers that aren't aware of the situation with iPad apps on Vision Pro, um they're there by default, but any developer can opt out. So Google has opted out all of their apps, including YouTube. Netflix has opted out. Spotify has opted out. Meta has opted out. And yeah, the, that's a huge problem with the iPad app support on Vision Pro because in some ways it's great to have all these apps, but it's it's annoying when that one specific app you want is missing. So maybe the, Meta could do a trade here where Meta says, we'll make, you know, Uh, Instagram and Facebook and threads and such and WhatsApp even available on Vision Pro if you give us uh, AirPlay support for iPhone requests. It's interesting to point out that Vision Pro can't do this. You can't cast your iPhone screen to your Vision Pro. I think that's a very intentional decision because Apple wants you to have your apps in Vision Pro, not your phone. They want this to be a standalone device that connects to, yes, your MacBook for obvious reasons, but I think they want to say, you know, don't bring up a certain app on your phone and cast it, bring it up in vision pro and all the continuity and, and cross device support stuff that you've talked about in the Apple ecosystem is designed to make that as good as possible. Um, yeah, the last thing we'll talk about in terms of Meta's plans for uh, quest three software updates is, um, the Andrew Bosworth, the CTO of Meta, has said that Meta is reworking some of the core UI infrastructure of Quest to better support 2D app positioning and multitasking. Uh, right now, using 2D apps on Quest is pretty awful because there's these two modes, right? There's close mode where you have um, you like the first app here, and then the other apps are attached onto the side, but not rotated So you actually have to strafe to to toggle between the apps. Imagine you had a triple monitor setup where instead of the side monitors being angled towards you, the side monitors were just flat. No one would do that, right? Like Every triple monitor setup you've ever seen, the the side monitors are angled towards you. In MetaQuest, they're all just flat. Uh, Then there is a far mode um, where everything kind of goes further away and you can position the, the triple app's together and they do actually the side ones do face towards you because they're all curved but um you can't position them individually you can only kind of move the whole setup of three together and you can resize them which is cool um i suspect they're going to just copy vision os here and let you place apps wherever you want and resize them wherever you want we saw some hint of that in uh, a big box marketing manager posted a video to x um I'll not say his name did not get him in trouble, but you know, he's quite a prominent poster on X. Um, has a take on a lot of VR things. And you could see in one of his videos he was using an internal build of MetaQuest, because you could see some of the little developer toggles. And he was able to position an i uh, Instagram window uh, just in anywhere in space. These are this is a concept from uh, Connect showing what this might look like. And here is just the uh the messenger app so i imagine they're just going to copy vision os here and let you place 2d apps wherever you want in your space and probably copy this shadowing thing in vision os as well where it's a really nice touch that in vision os apps cast shadows into your real world
0: yeah pretty obvious so people in our comments sort of asking for copying here and that's kind of the i think that's the reality of of the strategies here when we've when we're frustrated or people out there wondering why Apple kind of managed access the way they did, right? They they dropped this headset out into the wild without some of the world's leading experts having significant hands on time with the hardware. And I'm believing it's partially because the copying work that is going to begin the moment. Uh the headset is in the wild. Um, I think it's time to move on to our last subject here before we close out. Anything you want to respond to in the comments before we do that?
1: Uh no, the last thing I, I was just gonna say is it'll be fascinating to see how much the MetaQuest UI and UX evolves in the next 12 months in a suspiciously similar division OS direction. I imagine we're going to see um that happen. Meta has had a long history of if it sees a competitors doing something it likes it will just copy it you know like people think about instagram stories today as one of the core features of the app and it it is but that was originally a snapchat feature it was one of snapchat's kind of uh kind of key marquee features and one of the things that was kind of bleeding users from instagram and meta said that's cool we'll do it too and now instagram stories is you know bigger than snapchat stories ever ever was so uh, you've seen that across the board when it comes to meta products.
0: All right, David, I got to have it. I got to have my moment. Uh, to tell us what happened with PlayStation VR 2, David.
1: Yeah, so Sony has announced that they are going to... Uh, well, the, the wording here was very, very vague, but they're going to have some sort of PC game support for PlayStation VR 2. And I'll, I'll just cover the other news this week so that we can kind of just go straight into discussion. Um, this comes as Sony also announced... That it's uh, shutting down the studio behind Blood and Truth, and it's making layoffs at the two studios that together co developed Horizon Call of the Mountain. Uh, This also comes just a week after, sorry, just a few days after the um, one year anniversary of PlayStation VR2. And you may have been sitting there as a PlayStation VR2 owner or fan waiting for AAA games to be announced. Uh, Instead, Sony announced little cities port uh zombie something vr and closing down a studio while laying off others and so the
0: zombie land right zombie, zombie land, land VR, yes
1: sorry i, I yeah. couldn't think of the uh, exact exact word but yeah it's um yeah that's how they commemorated the anniversary here no price cut no triple a game announcement just we're looking into pc support of some kind and to these studios You don't expect anything So
0: so Onikaze here, maybe wait for how they will implement it before you do your victory dance. Ian, what would I be doing a victory dance for? I I have no (laughs) idea.
1: So yeah, uh, Ian and I had many debates in the past about whether uh, Sony would ever support PC with PlayStation VR 2, and the reason I, I argued strongly against it, and I, I think I said on this podcast that it'll never happen, the reason I argued strongly against it is because I argued that what PlayStation VR 2 is, is a value add for the PlayStation 5, right? It's a reason for people to buy a PlayStation 5 over the Xbox. It's one of those things where uh, if you're considering between the Series X and the PlayStation 5, you might say to yourself, oh, well, one day down the line, I might want to get a VR headset, and this one supports that, and this one doesn't. And to me, that's the entire point of PlayStation VR 2. The reason that Ana Akazi is saying um, that you, know, you should hold off for your victory dance is that Sony did not make clear how this PC support will happen and so I'll just quickly run down the technical possibilities here, right? Possibility A is that you will end up plugging your PlayStation VR 2 directly into your PC. That would require an adapter for almost all graphics cards, right? There were two generations of graphics cards that support that some of them supported Uh a virtual link USB-C port and Sony could maybe somehow pull off uh, software support there. For the vast majority of graphics cards, they would need an adapter because this thing has a USB-C uh, connector. So they would need something that splits into DisplayPort and USB and supports some of the custom stuff that they're doing with PlayStation VR 2. That's one possibility. So then PlayStation VR 2 would become a true PC VR headset and it's just another Accessory for another platform. Possibility two is that they use streaming in the same way that we've seen Steam Link, we've seen Virtual Desktop, we've seen Quest Air Link. What would happen here is that your PC would render the game, it would stream the frames over your home internet connection, ideally Ethernet, to your PlayStation 5, which you would require in this scenario. And then the PlayStation 5 would send an uncompressed output of the compressed frame to the headset over the normal cable. So you would be using it still connected to PS5, but the PS5 would be running like a Steam Link client app or you know a PlayStation VR link if it's Sony doing it directly. Another possibility is that they plan to do this through cloud streaming. I see that as very, very unlikely given that Sony doesn't have the infrastructure to even deliver like 4K regular uh, cloud streaming, given the, the latency issues surrounding that and just how difficult that would be to ensure a good experience, I think that's very unlikely. But I'm pointing it out as a possibility, because um, it is theoretically possible. The fourth possibility is that they somehow, you know, this this one is crazy, but I just have to point it out because it is a possibility, that they somehow integrate a, uh, a virtual Steam VR Windows operating system running on the PlayStation 5 and you're actually running the PC games on the PS5 that I think is almost certainly not going to happen but we have to it's a theoretical possibility right i think i've ranked those in in except for the first two the order of possibility i think the, the it's much more likely than all of the others that this is a streaming solution and the reason that i think Anikazi told you to to not do your victory dance is because my my fundamental thesis would still hold up that still makes this an accessory to the PS5. It still makes this a device that requires a PlayStation 5 to work and so a reason to buy a PlayStation 5 because if it is streaming, you will still need a PlayStation 5. So yes, I will absolutely say that I was wrong about the whole the, the fundamental idea of, of PlayStation VR 2 coming to PC in any way. I was completely wrong about that. But I suspect that the implementation will still back up my reasoning for why I said it wouldn't happen.
0: Yeah, all right. So I'm not gonna do my victory dance because it's actually a really sad day uh, to have so many people laid off uh, at Sony um, while we are coming in here to talk about this. And uh, that is a failure of leadership. It's a failure of planning. It's a failure of building the right products for the right audience. Um, it's a failure of getting the right games for that audience. Um, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you on the spot, David. Do we still recommend people buy a PSVR two in any circumstance?
1: That's a very interesting question. As you say, yeah, this is. Um... This is a sad day because let's be honest with ourselves. This would not have happened, this this PC announcement, if PlayStation VR 2 had been successfully selling. You also uh, would not have seen the kind of lackluster announcements we saw on the one-year anniversary. It's very clear here that PlayStation VR 2 has failed to meet Sony's expectations. I, you know I can't put words in Sony's mouth, but if you look at all of the external actions, it all points to this being the case. And I think the problem here, and the criticism I've laid at this the entire time, is that it's just too expensive. It is, I've said this from the start, I will keep saying this, and I don't care. I know some people disagree. You can't sell an accessory for more than the console itself. Five hundred and fifty dollars is is ridiculous. Now obviously the next question people are gonna ask is, you know, well, what do you take away? You know, are you saying we shouldn't have OLED displays? Is is OLED bad? No. I'm saying that this PlayStation VR 2 could have been the pro model for enthusiasts. Enthusiasts can pay $550 and they'll be happy about it. But what really should have happened going from PlayStation VR 1 to 2 is they should have expanded the market and made VR a more essential part of the PlayStation ecosystem by making it more affordable, not less. The opportunity with going from this, you know, external camera architecture to a uh, a inside-out tracked headset was to lower the cost. They should have had a base model here. You know, I guess now if they really wanted to see this, they could call it PSVR 2 Lite. They should have had a, a base model here that has a single LCD panel and, you know, they already are using Fresnel lenses, uh, cut the headset vibration, and just deliver on the core experience of adding VR to a PlayStation 5. They could you know, this thing doesn't have a full chipset in it. It doesn't have a battery in it. It doesn't have to have, you know, a wireless antenna in it. They could hit, they could and should have hit $250. If you look at what happened with PlayStation VR One, its biggest sales periods were always when it was being discounted down to $200, $250. And a lot of people could have, you know, combined those with sometimes used Move controllers. It is a crying shame that they made the price of entry for VR on PlayStation 5, $550. Again, because enthusiasts I know will come at me here, I'm not saying you can't have this HDR OLED headset vibrating dual panel IPD adjusting thing, but it should have been the Pro model. It's like akin to meta having never released a Quest 3 and just kind of keep pushing Quest Pro. You need two tiers here if you want to deliver this. It's at, at the end of the day, developers build for the market that's there, and if there's not enough people that can buy the game, you're going to have the entire content ecosystem crumble around you, and and that's what's what's happened here. There just isn't the the enough. There just aren't enough PlayStation VR two owners out there for developers to justify even adding support to their AAA titles. Because we saw that talked about before PlayStation VR two came out, this idea that PlayStation Five would take a hybrid approach. Just like you got on the launch titles of Resident Evil 8 and uh, uh, um, Grand Turismo 7, you would have these AAA titles that would have optional support. We saw Resident Evil 4 do that. Capcom, as I've said before on this show, Capcom has held up the entire PlayStation VR2. They are uh, every PlayStation VR2 owner uh, should be buying every Capcom game to thank them for what they've done because without Capcom, this thing would be in a completely dire state. Thank God for Capcom. Uh, at least but yeah i don't know i don't think i would recommend people buy a playstation vr 2 now unless uh, sony comes out and gives a clear statement about the future and says something like you know we have first party titles in the pipeline but like this was the first year anniversary there is no announced first party title for playstation vr 2 coming none and i don't even mm. think there's any announced AAA a third party title there is nothing they have, they have so, had so many opportunities to give people faith in the future of this thing. They could have cut the price. They could, nothing. It's clear that what they're doing here is with PC support, they're saying, you know, we've sold this $550 piece of hardware to people. We aren't going to provide them with the content that justifies it. Let's at least give them the ability to use this with their gaming PC if they, if they have that so that we're giving people the maximum value out
0: of their purchase. Well. All right so th- th- if we're, we, I'm going to need to get going after this comment uh and I think that's the end of our show but that is where we're going to have to like that's why I framed as as a as a dark day for the layoffs and I uh actually booted that commenter that made that comment uh because yes I understand there's a balance to all of this and I think I explained that this is a failure in leadership But what I'm trying to grasp grasp without us knowing uh, of those four options, which one they they pick, we actually don't know how dire a scenario this is for Sony. We don't know how how moved on they are to the next thing. And I think it's it's really awkward. It it, it's it's such a point of misstep that that Sony went out and announced the XR2 Gen 2 Plus headset for creatives amidst its other arm going and. Uh, laying off a whole bunch of software developers, as you said, on the one-year anniversary of this device, right? That creative device, that XR2 Gen 2 Plus uh, base device, is the basis of a standalone system for the future of Sony. But they aren't presenting it that way, and they aren't building towards it that way. So there is no. It it, it has all the earmarks to me of a of a major conglomerate that is going to have to restructure in a massive way in order to be ready for the future. Obviously, a different section of Sony goes and makes the displays for Apple. They're going to be doing great. They're going to be uh, probably having a very large order placed for them by Apple. So they're going to be making lots and lots of displays. Sony will be for VR. So they're going to be very invested in the next generation of VR. Can they go out and differentiate and build a next-gen headset that does What they want? Well, they're gonna need to figure out how to make the people who went and bought this happy, and some like somehow, like how do you transition them to that future if this thing is losing money left and right? I don't, I don't know.
1: I think a huge thing they could have done and still should do, and some of the commenters are pointing this out, and I still don't understand how they haven't done this is. Fund developers to port the original PlayStation VR library, the biggest titles. It is insane that Sony has a, you know, you can run on Skyrim VR on a PlayStation 5, but only when you connect it to the old PlayStation VR 1 headset how much would it really like maybe that's impossible because microsoft doesn't want to work with them because microsoft obviously owns bethesda now i think given how much scrutiny there is on regulators for microsoft's deal right now that uh, is showing that you're gonna care about a competitor's platform and do this whole games everywhere thing you're, you're talking about to regulators would actually be a good sign of goodwill even if not make some sort of emulation compatibility mode or something right uh, for If if absolutely nothing else, s- track the move controllers, right? You know, you have the a PlayStation 5, a, a powerful console that can do computer vision. You have this thing with cameras on it. You could theoretically track that uh, traditional input from inside out from the headset. But ideally, give us some sort of emulation mode where we can play those titles. Minecraft is another great example. Star Wars Squadrons, B- B- Blood and Truth. You know, there are all of these games that are sitting there having already been through their years of development and tens of millions to exist and sony could if it wanted get them onto its new console and it didn't i feel like if you can support pc right you're already going to be emulating another controller obviously not you know you're going to be supporting the touch controllers right in most games when you use this on pc you're going to see meta touch controllers because of that's what most of them are designed around surely you can at least support your own existing content library there
0: (laughs) Yep, I think that's it for us. Uh, Very big episode, very big day and week for VR news. Thank you all for tuning in with us. Uh, Come in next week as we try to get back to regular uh, updates here. Check out the new updates that David is hopefully uh, able to put in the studio, but don't look for those updates if we have a big week of VR news, uh, I think is the way to put it. Thank you for the incredible work reviewing Apple Vision Pro. Thank you all for reading it. Thank you uh, to our members. Please also consider becoming a member yourself if you're not yet to support our work directly. We'll see you later.
1: Thanks so much, everyone. Uh, Like we said at the start of the show, now that the Vision Pro Review is out of the way and we've got a lot of that backlog sorted, we will will hope to continue to do this show every Tuesday um, at our regular time, other than ironically this week. Uh, Ian had a prior engagement, but yeah, we hope to continue to deliver this show at the same time. Thanks so much for joining us. Please join us again on tuesday and we expect the vr and ar news to just keep grinding forward and forward like it constantly does this should be another big year for vr just like the year before and just like i expect next year thanks so much everyone
0: we'll see you later